From Michigan State University Department of Theater, this is Syllable of Recorded Time. Hello, my name is Oscar Quiroz and I am an MFA acting candidate in the Department of Theater here at MSU. And today we're going to be talking about love and war in Shakespeare, the experience of much ado about nothing at Michigan State University's Department of Theater. Joining me today we have Riley Bell Wine, who is a BFA actor in the Department of Theater, Kim C. Wright Martin, an MFA acting candidate, and Professor Derek McNish. How are you today? How's the end of the semester for those of you listening to us in the future? We are at the end of the fall 2023 semester. How's the end of the semester treating you? Oh, it's a certainly a, ra a race to the finish line at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just had my last class of the semester and it went really well. I just have finals week coming up, so looking forward to that. Yay! Yeah, same. I just had my last class of the semester and, you know, our production of Much Ado is a few weeks in the past and so I think my shoulders are starting to drop slowly and take a big deep breath. So talk to us about More To Do About Nothing, this production. Um, how, how did it feel for you, Riley? I know you were playing Beatrice. Uh, Kim, you were playing Leonata, which we will talk about, and you were directing Derek. How was the experience? Talk to us about that. Well, you had a role in the show too. Do you want to be oh, a part of that conversation? Oh, you just revealed my secret identity. <laughs> oh, no. Yes, I was also playing uh, Don Pedro de Aragon in, in, in the play. Yeah. Yeah. How was that? <laughs> well, for me, it was. I was coming from another project, so it was. It was very intense, but it was also very rewarding. And I, there's just something about the language in Shakespeare that sort of helps you already. Mm -hmm. Like the sort of like the, not only the meaning, but the emotion is already in the language, so you don't have to go and discover it. It's not hiding. I don't know what you think about about that. No, I very tend to agree. Um, we actually had a conversation in the dressing room run, one night of like. Nobody lies in Shakespeare, at least mm. not without saying immediately that I was lying about that. Mm -hmm. Everything people say is what they mean. Uh, so that, I feel like, is speaks to how easy it is for you to tap into that. Much Ado About Nothing is set in Messina, which is a city in the island of Sicily in the south of Italy. But this production chose, like many other productions, chose to take the play to a different setting. Talk to us about that. Well, I was the first person to ever interpret Shakespeare in, uh, in, 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 in I'm kidding. I, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like you said, like one of, the, one of the first things you have to do when you are challenged with mounting a production of Shakespeare is to figure out context. And, um, you know, you were talking about, about war, and, and I think that's one of the first things that I was thinking about way back when I first started imagining what this production would look like. So this, like you said, this takes place in Messina, which is in Sicily. At that time, it was ruled by Aragon, right? Yes. By so, so your character Don Pedro was the was the ruler of that of that land, and so it was a port city, and it was a place where there was good food, there was good wine, and people would ships from all over would would land there, and people would misbehave and have a you know it was it was las vegas it was like a, a wild place for good times and to to be bad 
And I think, um, you know, war is a constant companion in our in our life, in my lifetime anyway. Like we've the United States has always been at war. And Mm. and um, and I just I feel like I wanted to be in a setting where war was a more um, palpable presence. And so it's less about, ooh, the wars are done and more about here's a little breath in between wars. You know, that I think that meant that we were going to place it in some of the more contemporary wars. And so we were looking at, you know, World War Two or Vietnam or Korea and, and, and also talking with our costume shop about what what needs they had in terms of design. Oh, and landed on the idea of the the 70s as being something that would be fitting for their needs um, and also create a lot of opportunities for for us. But that association then led to uh, MASH, the 1970s TV show that depicts the Korean War, but kind of was actually about the Vietnam War. Mm. And then all of the pieces started falling into place. I think no one here was alive in the 70s. So can can we can, can you give us a little insight for those of us who don't know what MASH is? What, what, what was it? It was a show. But what was it about? Well, Riley, you said you've watched MASH, right? Have you seen MASH? I have seen maybe three episodes at my grandparents' house. <laughs> I saw several like, as research, too. Yeah, so I I wouldn't say I have, like, a lot of, like, experience with it. But, yeah, it's definitely a, a comedy, like, sort of, like... Is it, though? It, like, it is, but at times it's not. Like, it's... Yeah, it's, it's serious. Yeah, so this show has, much to do about nothing, has comedy and tragedy it has lightness and darkness and so you needed it something where those things can exist side by side and mash does that really really well it was very mm. successful um yeah your grandparents probably watched it um but it was it was the the, the funny parts were really funny and the sad parts were really sad and you can even see that sometimes there's a laugh track and sometimes there isn't oh it's yeah. one of those yeah, yeah. Oh, so they gotcha. they knew that they were doing something important, and it ran. It was about supposedly about the Korean War, which lasted three years, but the show itself ran for eleven years. So it resonated with the United States. This was not the only adaptation that the play had. The character of Leonata is originally Leonato, Il Signor Leonato. How how was it to embody that character, turn into a female character? It was absolutely. Completely challenging. <laughs> um, uh, because, um, you know, women in the military is already something that is, uh, you know, someone who is like an outsider. And then you put this, I mean, even in, in the 1970s, that was almost unheard of. Mm. Um, and uh, I wrestled a lot with uh, the values that the character would hold especially during that time considering the military experience that she would have had to get Mm. to the level that she had in the military as well so like a lot of thinking went into that of um why she ends up uh shaming hero the way she does and and Mm. the way and what builds up to that um yeah, no, it was very, it was very challenging trying to feminize this character mm. um, because I feel like they had a lot of masculine traits and masculine. Um, they got away reactions. with more. Like you can get away with more if you're a guy being like having those. 
polarities where I feel like as a woman, mm. like you can't be the best friend and the enemy at the same time. Like you have to choose one or the other. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot in in contemporary settings, it's hard to like find that both in a female character. I thought it was interesting because when Derek and I first met to talk about the show and, and Derek was like telling me about the concept and everything, um, there was this idea that setting it in the 70s makes the gender like dynamics in it more tangible for an mm. audience versus setting it in like, you know, 200 years in the past kind of makes it more like, oh, more things got away with back then. But when you set it in the 70s, that's like during civil rights movements and during times where women can't have places of power and they're starting to voice that and so I think making also Leonardo Leonada it makes this base an entirely like feminine space before Don Pedro and all of them come in Mm. and I feel like that just enhances the idea that like this is a a space where we can as women have power Beatrice can have kind of like all of this power and so when these men come in and think that it's it's their place to Mm. you know loaf around that creates, at least in me, it created more tension in Beatrice instead of, like, I feel like if it was set in the classical time period, I'd have to kind of let that go a little bit more and be like, oh, I don't, it's out of my control and stuff, where in this I let that boil with me more because I saw more injustice in that and I felt like I could have a say and have control over that. Mm-hmm. So I think that that um, kind of created an interesting dynamic. Yeah, and that's why the 70s was a good place to put this. <laughs> Um, let's move to love. <laughs> love. Love. Yes, I'm talking love about love. love. We, love, we, love, love. of course, we must talk about Benedict and Beatrice because, <gasps> like, it's oh. evident to everyone in the audience, I think, that they love it, that they're in love, or at least that there's some sexual tension and some <gasps> tension, no. some desire <laughs> between them. Shakespeare never portrays anything related to sexual. No. <laughs> <laughs> sexual at all. Oh my God. No. no. But they cannot. Talk to each other without insulting and exchanging insults. What is that? Like, is is it a self-defense? Is it like their own way of expressing their affection? What's going on? Well, it's yes. And I I think there there is a level. I'm going to start with what I found really interesting. And it wasn't really something I really tapped into until we were in performances and we were about halfway through or still kind of in the beginning of performances where I was like, you know, by the end of the show, I mean, I kiss Benedict and we're in love and we get married. So where does that start? And that has to start, we have to plant that seed in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I was like, so what, what do, what do I love about him? And I'm like, he's almost not just as smart as me. He's almost as smart as me, yeah. which is, you can't say that about any other character. Well, he no. always ends with a Jade's trick. Yeah. He always does. He, he cops out early cause he knows I'm going to win. Mm-hmm. Um, and so our first interaction is kind of this banter. And as much as it is like, oh, I, I want to get the leg up and I kind of want to jab him, it's 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 really fun for, for Beatrice. Like, I enjoyed every second of that, that banter, even though, like, yes, he, he kind of leaves the fight early and that kind of irks me and that leads into our next encounter where I really try to try to get after him. But in that first encounter, there, it's so fun. Like, I, I love... Beatrice loves like making having wordplay and, and so does Benedict and because we can meet each other there I think that our banter is also kind of our love language like we're both we're mm. intellect intellectual equals mm-hmm. and I think that's really fun for Beatrice because every time she has other moments of you know 
like long word plays like no one else really picks up on it the way that she does and she can just kind of walk all over other characters but Benedict is the one that kind of stumps her sometimes so okay serious question (laughs) five years from now Beatrice and Benedict and Hero and Claudio meet up at their timeshare um and um at their uh, what their (laughs) their vacation home their vacation home oh my god um, and what are they all? Are is are Beatrice and Benedict still together? Are Hero and Claudio still together? I think Benedict and Beatrice are still together. Ooh. And the reason I say that is because, you know, there's a, there's a there's a moment in the show when when the prince asks Beatrice. You know this very well, Oscar. The prince asks Beatrice or tells Beatrice like, oh, you know, Claude. Uh, You've made Benedict very upset. Like Oh, you lost you, the heart of Senior Benedict. Yeah, you've lost the heart of Senior Benedict. And I'm like, oh yes, I, I indeed like he lent it me a while and I gave him use for it. Mary once before he wanted me with false dice. And yes. for your grace may I say I have lost it. And that's pretty much Beatrice saying, and I mean it can be interpreted in, in different ways by whoever's playing Beatrice and Benedict. There was some relationship between them prior to this. Like they had something where Beatrice had two hearts. And Benedict only offered one, and that's how things ended. So there's this... I, I created this this idea, and especially since it was set in the 70s, um, it's more normal for people to have relationships and stuff. Like, if classical time periods, it might have just been, like, we were pen pals, and we confessed <laughs> secrets or whispered sweet nothings to each other at dinner. Like, I believe that they actually had some sort of romantic situationship. Mm. And okay. in my mind, it ended... I, I think Beatrice ended it. Okay. And because Benedict wouldn't commit to her. And for whatever reason that was, I, I assume maybe it was because he had a fear of commitment because he's a soldier, whatever that may be, but they weren't honest with, with each other. And so she saw his reluctance to commit to her as he doesn't love her. And so mm-hmm. left her heartbroken, and so she broke up with him, which left him heartbroken. So there's this, like, they both feel wronged by one another. And um, I think that's what leads into a lot of the, like, the start of the show, them kind of butting heads because they're, like, they're heartbroken exes that mm. have to kind of, like, cover that up with with banter and stuff. And so by the end of the show, when they tr- actually confess love for the first time, like, I-, I believe they're each other's, like, soulmates in a way. Like, mm. they've... To Beatrice, like, Benedict is her one only love. She denies marriage to anyone else. I mean, to the prince. The prince in- practically gets down on one knee for her and, and she shoes him away. Mm-hmm. And Benedict is the only person that she's willing to to swoon for, so I think I think they have a long and happy relationship. At least I hope that's what I created. So, <laughs> and speaking of the other couple, a hero and Claudio, the mm-hmm. youthful couple, I just and I, I is there a way to justify that a they end up married? Because I don't maybe in in, like in five guess, years are they happily married? Because well, even. I think, if, I think the way that we portrayed it in this production is that ultimately Hero decided that it was okay, and that's why they did, you know? Yeah, she ends like, up with, yeah. Yeah, if she had decided that she was too wronged, I don't think they would have ended up together. You know what I mean? I think she would have maybe gotten her revenge and left, <laughs> based on the way that we that we staged it. Yeah. But I don't know if they would have they would still be together. I think that's up to Hero. I think because <laughs> they, they fall together on such a whim. Like, it, it, like, he falls in love with her so quickly. Like, it, it seems like Claudio likes the idea of Hero. 
mm. and not actually who Hero is, because Hero doesn't even get to really talk that much in the show herself. She doesn't really mm. get to express who she is to other yeah. people. Needs a, for the 21st century, needs a complete overhaul. Yeah, it's, it's, that's why there has, it has to be presented in some kind of environment where it makes a little bit of sense for um, someone to have no agency, no choice whatsoever in who they marry and, and for them to follow orders in that, in that way. And that, that's, that's, that's a hard thing for a modern audience to wrap their mind around. Mm -hmm. Um, As written, she she doesn't have any choice whatsoever. Um, And so we, we tried really hard to, to make it seem that she had some choice, but really it's like, I feel like Shakespeare is giving us two models for relationships. Like there's <laughs> yes. one where it's two people who are intellectual equals, there's chemistry, and they've known each other for a long time. They know each other well, and they know each other deeply. And then there's like, ooh, something shiny, something pretty. And wait, does she have money? Okay, yes, yes, I'll have her. Um, and then and then right after he says, right after he says, uh, I'll have her, he goes and hangs out with the guys for a few days. They don't spend the time before their wedding getting to know each Not other. They don't see each other at all. <laughs> mm-hmm. It doesn't it doesn't matter. And then so we tried really hard to, you know, there we you know, it's it the the slap at the end, the watching um uh we we had hero um slap Claudio. We also had Claudio sort of suffer as much as we could in mm-hmm. that short period of time. Um but even so, he was ready to marry anybody else. Yeah. Mm. Not a not a bright future for this couple. No. Nope. I think Kayla, who played Hero in our production, I, I mean, did so much work to fill all of Hero's yeah. silence with so much yeah. going on in her. I mean, as Beatrice, like, I was around Hero a lot, and there was always something going on mm-hmm. in Hero's mind. And I think she filled all those gaps of, audience being like what does hero think of of claudio there were moments like she seemed truly charmed by him and excited by him and i mean when there were like little asides where they would talk after their after their kiss when beatrice and the prince are off doing their little thing like they're in the corner like whispering to each other and like oh my cousin tells him in his ear that he is in her heart and they they really play into that and i i really i just wanted to give kayla a shout out for the amount of work that she did to really make it believable for this yeah. production that Hero does have a choice and her her mom yes. and her cousin do care that she, you know, likes him or not and that he's handsome or not. Mm-hmm. During the production, I remember hearing that one of the themes we wanted to explore is reconciliation, forgiveness. Mm-hmm. What are some conclusions that you take after the production in terms of can we forgive? What, what, what was the, the question... Yeah, I mean, I I said I said also that I want to dramatize the conflicts and I want people to go home debating about things. And so I don't know if I can forgive people. I mean, like like I mean, the Beatrice and Benedict is the obvious thing. They're so mean to each other and they talk about each other behind each other's backs. They're 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 brutal. And yet they forgive each other and and they sh- they should or I I mean, because they found that connection. But I don't know how Claudio Hero man. could forgive Claudio and I don't know how everyone suddenly forgives the prince, you know. Yeah, that was so hey, interesting. I, I was just up. trying to do good. <laughs> I'm kidding. No. No, he, he, the prince says, I missed, 
I'm sorry, I but I but I sinned only in mistaking. I I thought she did that. She didn't. I'm sorry. That's there, Claudio. Yeah, Claudio oh. says that. Oh, okay. Claudio um, is the real ass. Oh no, no. <laughs> but I mean, it's just it it. I guess it goes along with power, right? People can't question it, but um, I I don't know how that forgiveness can happen, but. But I feel like it, it needs to be a possibility. Otherwise, otherwise, what's poor hero's future like? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and 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 you, <laughs> Leonata, the things that the things that you say to your daughter after the wedding, like, can 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 what do you think? Can hero forgive you? Can you forgive yourself? Do you do you like hold it against yourself for that behavior? I mean, I think that's one of. In in my mind, for the character, it was one of the reasons why she decided to go along with what I call the third going. Mm, the third going. <laughs> um, you know, of of uh, helping portray her hero's death. Mm-hmm. Um, of like, uh, that's why she goes along with it. Yeah. And goes so hard to go along with it, right? She goes really hard. She goes really hard yeah, to... Um, to portray that and I think that's because that's a way like that's her way of trying to gain forgiveness back for what she has said to Hero it's like a self self self-punishment yeah Yeah. there's an element of like getting rid of your sins Uh, what Mm -hmm. is that um, cleansing yourself from your sins it's like a ritual that Claudia also goes 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 through mm-hmm. um it th- also with uh, don pedro and don john there's also the the play starts with you went to war against me but now i forgive you and we're mm-hmm. friends again and 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 it begins with a reconciliation then very quickly goes into backstabbiness so maybe shakespeare's telling us right at the beginning beware don't 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 accept those shallow reconciliations hmm I mean, Leonata's choice to go against her superior, mm-hmm. I can imagine, was a, it's a huge thing. Um, being a child of the military, that's mm-hmm. like something that I really tried to tap into was like the relationships that you would have within the military. And so like going against my superior officer because he did something that I was unhappy with, like mm-hmm. that's a huge decision in itself. And it's like... Can I hold a grudge against you, knowing that you are like the decider of my fate? Mm-hmm. And the 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 villain that Shakespeare gives us just is is not the real villain in the in the play. It's the everyone. It's the things people do to each other. Yeah. It's the way mm-hmm. they hurt each other. Distrust. Like DG wouldn't be such an evil person if Claudio and the prince didn't believe them mm-hmm. when they told. When they like showed them, like what was happening or whatever. Like if there was a conversation or something, like that's what was evil was the total betrayal mm-hmm. that then happened, and then the cruelness that happened in the first wedding. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like the most evil in the play. Mm. That scene so so. I mean, you all did so beautifully, but it was so hard to watch. Just the shift into cruelty, and also like once we had audiences being able to look at their faces oh, gosh. because we set them up with so much slapstick silliness and and yeah yeah, and then and then going right into something that was just painful to watch yeah we did the show in a in an arena kind of small setting so the audience was 
very close to us and we could very much see their faces and when we were on the ground things were getting very dramatic there was like people not even two feet away from us that mm. I'm sure were really feeling mm-hmm. everything that was happening yeah the proximity mm-hmm. what was your favorite thing to do on the stage when you were in the run what was your stage favorite stage business sort of thingy thingy I ended I, it wasn't something that I discovered until like we started almost started performances but like something that I really loved was in the party scene when uh, after Beatrice makes a fool of herself in front of the prince <laughs> and sending her away and trying to like make nice with the prince because he was just rejected <laughs> uh Um I, we ended up having a lot of fun with that yes. and that ended up being one of my favorite moments of mm. the show. I would honestly agree with the party scene somehow becoming like my like the most interesting scene I think for me to do would be, you know, after the wedding talking with Benedict. That was I think the most challenging scene for me as like a younger actor to like like taking that authority and stuff and taking up space on stage, but doing the party scene like in the conversation that Beatrice and the prince has and when Beatrice like for the only time stumbles over her words a little bit and starts to kind of like get lost in her own like word like basically dancing out of this awkward situation with her words <laughs> and doesn't do it as smoothly as maybe she would have hoped but um there's like because it's in the round there are facial expressions and and moments that you can have with like one part of the audience. Mm-hmm. And like I remember there was a time when like we spoke and you kind of are hurt and walked away and I was left kind of being like, "Oh, how do I like what do I say?" and then I would turn around and be like smiling and being like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm fine." But mm-hmm. you know, one side of the audience got that like they were able to feel that panic when the other side of the audience maybe probably knew that that was happening, but it's there's nowhere to hide, but there's yeah. way to like give secrets to certain Yes. parts of the audience which I think is like so fun like some people got to get a little secret while other people got a different little like secret moment. Yeah, you got to see the show multiple times if yeah. you want to know From why if you want to know all the secrets. Exactly. Mm-hmm. What about you? What was your favorite thing to stage or to watch? For uh, oh, my favorite thing to stage or to watch. I mean, I Everybody started out incredibly awkward in that space, right? I mean, it's if you stand in the middle of of four people on all of of four sides with audience members, there's like, where do I go? I just just watching people find comfort in that world. Um I think that probably the first like before the before the speaking even began, I really enjoyed staging that that easing into the the world of mash. Mm-hmm. and um because it it just sort of it just kind of pulled people in like i love seeing the stasis before it's intruded upon by mm-hmm. um by the text um i guess the party the party scene was fun but it was also chaotic i mean there's yeah. 19 people in the cast and <laughs> and moving people around is it 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 becomes complicated so i guess um the staging Beatrice's gulling scene oh my was gosh. probably that my was favorite so thing that actually also could be one of my favorite scenes in the end it was yeah. the biggest pain and i worked do. on that with with um <laughs> i said that kindly professor alexis black who is a a comic genius and like it's the kind of thing that we we like 
we we figured it out taught it to the actors and then it took a long time before it became funny mm -hmm. but that's because it just needed to like you needed to find it and exp and and own it and it and it got there and it was so rewarding and i just i just loved watching people um experience it and yeah they laughed <laughs> the first night i remember like it, it, i don't even think it was until opening night when it actually like clicked because like during acting in that scene like i was crawling over the ground, crawling under beds, pushing the beds up. Like, it, it really felt like a workout. <laughs> and so I think so much of the rehearsal process was just, like, getting the timing because there was so much timing with... We are, what happens is that Beatrice is hiding under a bed trying to listen in on Ursula and Hero talking about her and Benedict, and she accidentally pushes the bed too far and unplugs a patient's life support. <laughs> so she has to run around and resuscitate um, this body... With, with like without I guess Ursula and Hero knowing, and it was like such a a workout, and I was always worried more about timing mm. and getting to where I needed to be. That the acting didn't really come in until like probably our final dress, and I really like felt like I could be more worried about Beatrice's like thoughts through the scene and not like oh Riley, you gotta go here and yeah. here and here. And yeah. and we're opening night, we were doing a scene. And poor um, Kayla and Emily, there was a, when I, when things started getting funny, you couldn't hear any lines because people were laughing so loud. And I was, I was sitting resuscitating the body and um, I was trying so hard to listen to Kayla and Emily and Kayla was like screaming the <laughs> lines to try to make sure I got all of the like timing and the words that I needed. And it was, it was very rewarding, like Derek said, to, to actually get it to that point. But it took, it took a while. Took yes. A <laughs> now it was a it was a lot of that like the first few performances like getting used to the laughs of the people mm -hmm. that you were not rehearsing with sometimes yeah. it's annoying I'm like and Sights. then <laughs> and then when they laugh one day and then they don't laugh the next day and you're like did I do something wrong no they're just sleepy it's Sunday they're high schoolers <laughs> yeah <laughs> thank you for joining me Derek McNish Kim Seabright Martin and Riley Bell Wine. This was Syllable of Recorded Time.